is definitively uncertain. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 65 of Definitively Uncertain. I am John Colbert and with me as always... Adele Colbert. And today we are doing some top 10 lists that Adele found on the interwebs. On the interwebs. So with these top 10 lists, mm-hmm. what are they all about, Adele? Uh, so the first one we're going to look at is 10 people who gain genius from brain damage. That's interesting. Which is interesting. Yeah. So I don't know any of these. I kind of yep. wanted to keep them a surprise to me so I could hear them the same time you guys do. And then you guys get an honest reaction of, you know, am I going to try to hit myself with a hammer in the head and become <laughs> a genius? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this first guy's name is Derek Amato. So in 2006, uh, he dove into a pool, into the shallow end of a pool, and he hit his head. Um, He was mostly... Yeah, okay. So it... the uh, Sorry, I had to reread that. I couldn't tell if it was talking about paralyzing fear or if if he was actually paralyzed. He wasn't, but he could have been. Um, days after the accident, Derek began to see moving black and white shapes, which he described as a continuous stream of musical notation flowing behind his closed eyelids. And he had never been musically inclined. He was suddenly able to sit down at a piano and play intricate pieces that would take most people years to perfect. Really? And all because he didn't listen and he dove into the shallow. He dove into the shallow end of the pool. That's kind of crazy. It's a little weird. Could you imagine hitting your head and just being able to play piano? Yeah. That's all it takes. Like like kicking your washing machine to work. That's all it takes. Yeah. yeah just give it, <laughs> give it a little boot. Yeah. And then it, oh, perfect. Yeah. It's like every uh, spaceship movie in the world yeah. where the spaceship isn't working and they just start hitting stuff and all of a sudden it goes, yep. and it starts up again. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Sure. So number nine is Jason Paget. So this happened in 2002. He was a furniture salesman. He was leaving a bar and was blindsided by two muggers, and they knocked him to the ground, and they kicked him in the head. And um, he had a severe concussion and weird distortions of his vision. Although he could see normally, there was now a like a sheen over everything, like kind of a like a haze. Yeah. Um, somehow his brain injury had given him the ability to essentially see math. When researchers imaged, uh, Paget's brain, it showed a series of, it, and showed him a series of equations. The visual processing centers in his brain lit up and he was turning numbers into pictures. So he got really good at math. That's kind of crazy. He was able to interpret things different and understand things that he didn't understand before but mathematically yeah so so far we got a person that became gifted in music and another person that became gifted in math so it's kind of crazy how the brain works eh? Mm-hmm. like you uh, just the get... first guy did have hearing problems and vision problems after his incident yeah like that he was left with some detriments too but can play piano <laughs> but his his piano sense is tingling <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Alright, number eight is John Sarkin. Uh, during the first three decades of his life, he was pretty normal. He had a wife, a child, and a blossoming career as a chiropractitioner. Uh, and then one day, he almost died. During a round of golf in 1988, Sarkin uh, suffered a debilitating brain hemorrhage and was rushed to the hospital. Uh, what started as a series of surreal dreams so soon transformed into a compulsion to paint. Sarkin quit his job and took up full-time art, splitting his attention between painting and sculpting. And he he still paints, and he's got his stuff in galleries around the world. Really? So because of these crazy dreams that he was having because of his head injury, he quit his job and started sculpting and painting. And now he's a world-famous yep. painter. That's pretty cool, too. Yeah. I wonder what kind of stuff he he actually paints like if it's abstract or if it's realism or something like that i'm sure we could look it up yeah not right now maybe okay maybe not right later now. all right sure i don't want to get off the list yeah My no phone's being finicky is it a little bit so number seven is lay uh or keg i believe uh was 49 years old in 2009 when she fell into a ravine on her car Colorado Ranch. Um, after the accident, she had no idea who she was. She couldn't remember her childhood, her mother, or anything about her life before the fall. Um, with the disappearance of memories, she'd also lost her emotions. Even now, she knows when to smile or laugh, but doesn't under entirely understand why she's doing it. Um, she's taken up art as a way to express her newfound interests in math. She's taken up art for math. <laughs> uh, when she draws, she says she's creating the image based on math mathematical equations. Okay. So, so far it's been a lot of art and math. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, that is weird. Could you imagine waking up and just being a sociopath who doesn't remember anything? Yeah, that'd be a little weird, wouldn't it? That would be. Uh, number six it just says Mr. Z. Okay. Uh, researchers are still struggling to understand the mechanisms behind the miraculous few who have acquired unexpected abilities from debilitating brain damage. But their lack of knowledge is not from lack of trying. The phenomenon has been recognized for decades and doesn't always lead to happiness. In the 80s, a psychologist wrote about his experience with a patient that he only identified as Mr. Z. When Mr. Z was nine years old, he was shot in the forehead during a home invasion. The bullet completely passed through his head and left the boy partially paralyzed and unable to speak. But uh, while the incident uh, stripped Mr. Z to most forms of logical thought, it left him with a curious ability. He could take apart just about anything and put it back together again. In addition to his mechanical abilities, Mr. Z was able to remember random facts with perfect clarity, such as street names in areas he'd only visited once. That's weird. That's pretty cool. It's a little cool. Yeah. It got shot in the head. Yeah. Bullet went right through. Didn't die. Didn't die. But he can take apart anything pretty well and put it back together. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. That's... That's like I see Brody take apart stuff, but he can't usually put it back together. Yeah. Sometimes he can. 
And then he just keeps taking that thing apart, putting it back together. Yeah. That's weird. But if he got shot in the head, he'd be able to do it, no problem. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that's not the that's way that works? That's not oh. the... That's okay. not... No. Sorry. I was, I was just like, oh, that's all you gotta do? No. <laughs> all right. I know. That's not right. I know. Number five is Franco Magnani. In the 60s, an Italian immigrant living in San Francisco became, began struggling uh, from strange and sudden illness. Uh, he was racked by fevers that forced him uh, to stay bedridden and brought on a state of delirium. While he suffered, he dreamed. He dreamed of his childhood in Italy, um, which he'd left almost a decade earlier. When he awoke from these episodes, he would paint his dreams, um, all the scenes from his childhood. He was painting perfect photorealistic snapshots of the village where he grew up. That's pretty awesome. From memory. Exact scenes. Yeah. So there is a picture of one of his paintings there. Oh, that's crazy. It's really pretty. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, from memory. Like, that's that's that can't be easy to do. Every detail. It's, it says here... Wow. More than 20 years after Magnani's illness, a photographer stad or traveled to Italy to his, the village where he grew up and was able to photograph the exact scenes which appeared in Magnani's paintings. That's pretty awesome. That's insane. It's cool that someone went and did that, though. Yeah. You know, just to, it was either to debunk or to really know if he did it, right? That's pretty cool. Yep. Now we wouldn't even have to do that. Now we just have to Google Earth it. Yep. You know, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, they couldn't do that in the 60s. <laughs> no, but now we could just Google Earth it and be like, oh, yeah, that's it right that's, there. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Number four is Anthony uh, Kikoria or Sikoria. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Um, in 1994, Anthony had just hung up a payphone when a blinding light came out of nowhere, hit the phone, and then rebounded into his face. The impact threw him backwards and, on his own account, knocked him out of his body. He remembers looking down at his unconscious self while people rushed over, trying to resuscitate him. Then he was slammed back into his body and a world of pain. He was struck by lightning. In the face. In the face. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, over, the next, over the course of the next few months, Anthony tried to get back to his normal life, but he felt strange. He couldn't seem to focus on his work, and his memory was a little spotty. Uh, soon, soon, though, even though those problems disappeared, his life just seemed wrong. Uh, he was struck again, this time... Uh, by an insatiable desire to make music. His desire soon came an obsession, and he was hearing music in his dreams, but he didn't know how to play piano or get the songs out of his head. So the 42-year-old surgeon began teaching himself how to play a borrowed piano, and the more he learned, the more his obsession grew. Every spare moment was spent in music, like an itch that couldn't be scratched. Even his wife left him because of this obsession. Really? That is crazy. So, did he ever write anything that was, like, super famous? Does it say that? Um, 
The neurologists that studied his condition believed that the complete changes in personality came over him uh, was a result of a temporal lobe seizure. I, it doesn't say anything about his work. And that guy was a surgeon? He was a surgeon. <laughs> and then he was just obsessed with music. Yeah. That's pretty wild. That is crazy. All right, number three is Heather Thompson. I think I've heard her name before. March 2011, Heather Thompson was hit in the head by the rear hatch of her SUV while she was loading groceries. The impact knocked her onto the ground and gave her what the doctors called a mild traumatic brain injury. It didn't seem particularly serious, but she never quite felt like herself after the incident. Lights seemed too bright, colors too vivid. She began locking her- herself in a dark bedroom to escape the overstimulation, abandoning her family and her job as a CEO of a local business. She would sleep for most of the day, uh, only the simplest of tasks to work back into exhaustion. Uh, with a single careless blow to the head, her life became living hell. Then uh, a concerned neighbor brought over um, a bunch of paintbrushes and suggested she try painting to help her rea- relax. And basically now she paints all of this, like, she paints her overstimulation. Okay. Once driven businesswoman, Thompson divorced her husband, moved out of the city, bought a goat, and took up a life as a painter. (laughs) In her own words, she's happier than she's ever been in her life. Wow. All because an SUV hatch hit her in the head. She was loading up groceries and it hit her in the head. Just like that, her whole family got wrecked. (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy. It's a little insane. Do you think that really happened for her? Or do you think she just was miserable in her life and this was the way to change it? I mean, maybe. (laughs) It feels like that's more of the story. Like, she was just like, why did I choose this life? I I just want to paint and have a goat. I just want to start over. Yeah. Like, I'll just... I'll I'll blame it on me hitting my head. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, apparently her whole personality changed, just yeah. like John Sarkin and Anthony. Yeah. Number two is Orlando Sorrell. Sorrell? Um, he's become the poster boy for acquired savant syndrome. Uh, while playing as a boy in 17, or 19, nine, 17, 1979, a baseball whacked him on the head. Um, he fell to the ground and then got up and just kept playing ball. He didn't realize it right away, but he had a traumatic brain injury. Uh, it started for, it started with headaches. Uh, he was 10 years old and he just was like, he had this throbbing, blinding pain a lot of the time. Uh, and then the headache stopped and... Orlando realized that he could remember everything. He knew what clothes he had worn, what what the weather had been, and what he had had for breakfast for every day of his life. That's crazy. Basically, he's just got super memory. Yeah. That's, that's what savant syndrome is. That is crazy. Do you imagine having super memory? You'd be like, I remember this happened. And you're like, nope. 
It's not the way it happened. I remembered because your hair was parted this way and yep. you were wearing those glasses. It had also stuck Sorel with the ability to know the future. He had become a calendar calculator. For every, every given date, Sorel could instantly calculate the day of the week, even if the date felt hundreds of years in the future. These days, the 10-year-old wonder kid is a 37-year-old man who's dedicated to helping researchers understand the role of, of brain damage in human intelligence. That's crazy. Do you imagine just getting hit in the head with a baseball? And then, like, huh, you know, I remember this one time when I was three months old. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's kind of crazy. Agreed. You know what's even crazier? Hmm. I'm picturing those people, like the scientists and them and mm -hmm. him. And I don't know. I just picture a bunch of scientists with kids on one side of the room and they're on the other side. They're just chucking baseballs at them. <laughs> <laughs> Are you smart now? Oh, okay. That one didn't work. My head hurts. <laughs> that would be oh, horrible, no. but I think funny. It would be kind of funny. Like just they're all it. like yeah. they're all in a line, and it's just like okay, three, two, mm -hmm. one, throw. They all get hit in the head. All the kids fall. Like domino. <laughs> Oh, I like that. All right, number one is a man named Jim. Jim Carallo. He was 14 years old when a car accident destroyed his life. His mother was killed in the crash, and Jim lapsed into a coma due to extensive brain injuries he'd suffered. The doctors didn't think he'd live more than a few weeks. Against all odds, he did survive. After six weeks, he woke up from the coma and began the long, slow process of physical rehabilitation. Soon he was able to return to school, and that's when he realized he wouldn't be normal again. Before the accident, Carollo had no interest in math. After, afterwards, it became as easy as breathing. Without studying, he aced his high school geometry mastery test, and then skipped up to calculus, passing every exam with ease. Memorizing any number he was uh, told to look at, he memorized 200 digits of pi in a little over a day. That's crazy. That's insane. Beneath every day-to-day -day activity, numbers were scrolling through Carallo's head, endless sequences of digits. He's 39 now, and the numbers are still there. While he went on to build a normal life after the accident... He says that the numbers are calming, like an old friend. Wow. That's pretty crazy. So everybody really becomes super mathy. Mathy or artistic? Ar artistic, yeah. Yeah. That's weird. It is pretty weird. There was only one that was kind of a little different, and it was the, the memory one. Yeah. Alright. So we're going to do one more of these? Yes. Excuse me. I hiccuped. So I think we are going to do researchers who experimented on themselves. This seems like it's going to be a fun one. This does seem like it's going to be fun. Yeah. Alright. Jonas Sock is our first guy. Right on. Known universally for his 1952 
breakthrough in polio vaccination released to the public in 1955 um, he was a very like highly reputable researcher who genuinely worked towards the betterment of mankind after successful inoculations with monkeys Salk tested his polio vaccine on himself his wife and even his children uh, when he when asked who owned the patent to the vaccination, Salk was astonished at the idea that anyone would want to make a profit off of a much-needed cure. Today in the United States, uh, Albert Sabin's oral polio vaccination is used exclusively. Huh. So I guess he didn't sell it to him. No. He, uh, yeah. And, and he, man, to be that confident to, like, use it on your kids, you yeah. know, and your wife is... It's like, no, no, he'll be fine. Trust me. It'll be good. It'll be good. That's something I don't know if I could do. That's you got to have a lot of confidence in that. Yep. So the next one is Eli Mech- Mechnikov. <laughs> I'm sorry, I butchered his last name. He's Russian. He's a physiologist. Uh, he led a remarca- remarkably melancholy life. Oh, attempted suicide by taking taking a large dose of opium after his first wife died. When he remarried, uh, his new wife fell ill and survived. Um, but it took its toll. Like the illness took its toll on him. Um, and he attempted again. And in order to save their public image, uh, he did it this time under the guise of medical experiment, injecting himself with relapsing fever inoculation to test its transmission uh, through blood. After his survival, he ceased the suicide attempts and later worked focus on immunology, um, including the discovery of uh, phagocytes, cells that consume bacteria within the body. So he basically found white blood cells. Wow. By trying to kill himself. By trying to kill himself. That's crazy. Yeah. And he figured out white blood cells from it. Basically, yeah. That's pretty That's pretty dark. A little, yeah. yeah that's pretty dark. Number eight is Carl William Scheele. That's a good name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was a German chemist, and he missed out on a claim to fame with his own discovery of oxygen and nitrogen, were overshadowed by J- Joseph... Priestley, the more widely known English chemist who was able to publish his findings more quickly. Uh, Known for routinely tasting the chemicals he worked with, he died at the age of 43 with symptoms that had an uncanny resemblance to mercury poisoning. Thus is postulated that his own thoroughness in experimentation led to his early demise. That's crazy. That this is why they tell us... This is why they tell us to not taste things in high school labs. Yeah. For exactly that reason. For that reason. He was like, hmm, you know, I just want to, like, taste this mercury before I do anything with it, just so I can write stuff down, right? Just so I can... Just so I know. Just so I can put it in my ingredients. Yep. Number seven is Albert Hoffman, which I think we talked about. Uh, he was a Swiss chemist, uh, the first to synthesize LSD <laughs> in 1943, originally intended to um, 
be a medicine, I believe. That's what it says. After accidentally ingesting LSD through his fingertips, he then took it intentionally and recorded the effects. This prompted a change in his career, which he subsequently spent studying, uh, like, hallucinogenics, including, um, LSD. Um... It's like a chemical name I can't pronounce, but it's the active agent in in like mushrooms. Okay. Um, yeah. Basically, he just Is it psilis- he, he got psilocybin psilis- or something like that. Uh, yeah. 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 I yeah. don't know how to say it. Psilocybin. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. You're welcome. But basically, he your got dad. high and wrote about it. <laughs> See, your dad knows some shit sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I remember talking about him in our in our accident thing yeah podcast yeah yeah that one was pretty fun actually i like that one yeah yeah so number six is kevin warwick um a specialist in artificial intelligence and robotics uh made history when he installed electrodes into his nervous system uh finding that remote robot arm responded to the signal sent by the electrodes imitating the movement of his arm uh, after the excess of his experiment, he implanted the same device into his wife's arm to spark the kind of communicative connection between the two robotically enhanced human limbs. Um, his work was far-reaching implications, especially in techno-philosophical f- f- philosophy fields. <laughs> oh, I can't speak today. I can tell. But this you, is a horrible podcast for I'm you to do. I'm so sorry. <laughs> No, I mean it's a horrible podcast for you to do today with your with your I am not doing this good. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. But you know like in movies when the guy's moving his arm and there's like the robotic arm on yeah. the and it's moving like that. Yeah. <laughs> that thing. He did that thing. Yeah. They're also um they're also prosthetics that they put on now yeah and they actually rig it up and so then that way it'll be able to move yeah so he actually yeah he was he, he started the, that he started ex machina <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah i don't know if you guys don't know that movie you should watch it it's a little freaky all right so number five is werner forsman Uh, He was a German doctor and was awarded the 1956 Nobel Prize for Physiology or Medicine um, for his guerrilla research in the field of heart catheterization. Uh, Forsman inserted a catheter into his own vein until it reached the right atrium of his heart. Uh, With the catheter in place, he then walked up up one floor to take an x-ray of his heart to prove the success of his self catheterization he he catheterized himself that's crazy he was like we can do this and no but they're like no we don't want he's like fine i'll do it to myself yeah that's <laughs> and then walked up a floor to take an x-ray to say see i told you so that's nuts that's not a thing number four william j harrington He specialized in autoimmune disorders, especially those originating in blood. Uh, He performed research involving patients um, with various types of blood diseases. 
uh, to determine whether the disease was transmitted by blood or if it became from or if it came from bone marrow, he injected blood from one of his infected patients into his own bloodstream. Oh, he developed the disease's uh, telltale blue marks on the skin, uh, but they cleared up relatively quickly, proving that the disease was indeed carried in the patient's platelets and was not infectious. Wow. What? He actually did that and wasn't sure if he was going to get it or not. Yeah. And then he did get it, but it went away. Mm Mm-hmm. Just because it wouldn't survive in his body. Yeah. So his white blood cells, thanks to Suicide Guy. Thanks to What's-His-Face. Yeah, thanks to Suicide Guy. (laughs) Saved him. Right? That is crazy. I don't think... The stuff that people, like... Okay, you got to think about all the stuff that that they do like people make cartoons about it yeah you know like mad scientists trying stuff on themselves Mm -hmm. and turning into dr lizard yeah you know like but but it's legit like Like, it it comes from a reality yeah you know someone crazy decided they were gonna do something and then they did it you know it's like holy crap yeah (laughs) you know like doc ock yeah. You know, the bionics, like yeah. that kind of stuff. What, what made you think that this was a good idea? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to become a supervillain. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this is how supervillains are made. Uh, crazy people trying to prove a point. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, uh, Daniel uh, Alcides Carrion. His last name's Carrion. I love that. Uh, He was a medical student studying an epidemic in Peru known as Arroya Fever. Uh, He took matters into his own hands relatively, in a relatively grotesque way by having a friend draw blood from the wart of a 14-year-old suffering from the fever and injecting it into his own bloodstream. While, uh, While he was thereby able to prove a connection between two forms of the disease, uh, which is caused by the same bacteria that causes trench fever and cat scratch fever, he died as a result. Yeah. So you see, that was the worst case scenario. Yeah, that's... It's always... That's the worst case scenario. Always, right? Yeah. Like, you're gonna die. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> Why would you do that? I don't know. Alright. Number two is Santorio Santorio. Nice. Yeah, he was an Italian physician, um, and he spearheaded the understanding of metabolism by measuring own, his own changes in his body weight throughout the day's various metabolic phases, such as eating and sleeping. He's known for his meticulous measurements of his urine and feces, uh, which he compared to his dietary intake. Uh, because the measurement of his waist was always lower, he proposed the concept of insensible perspiration sweat basically uh to explain the divergence in the measurements while nothing much came of his discovery uh his method of weighing a steel yard balance hold holding a suspended chair remains to claim remains his claim to fame so basically the way he weighed himself is how he got famous (laughs) it wasn't (laughs) what he was studying it's how he weighed himself yeah that's funny yeah. That's weird. It is weird. <laughs> Holding a suspended chair. So he, so he basically built a giant scale with a chair on one side 
and this other thing on this side, and then he sat on it, and he was like, oh, yeah, it's like, it's this far from the ground. I must be this weight. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of funny. All right, number one, Joseph Goldberger. Right on. A Hungarian-born immigrant to New York City specialized in diseases commonly that commonly afflicted the poor. Um, his best-known discovery was that pellagra, uh, an illness most common in southern United States, was due to di- dietary deficiencies and was indeed not contagious. Uh, when elimination diet experiment did not convince his uh, fellow researchers, his last-ditch effort was injecting himself and his wife with the blood of those suffering from the disease. Uh, that was enough to finally prove that it was not infectious because neither of them were infected with the disease. He was not able to identify the missing dietary element during his lifetime. Uh, research after his death found that uh, niacin was the key to thwarting pellagra. Huh. Yeah, I just, I don't know about the confidence, you know what I mean? Like, to have that much confidence to be like, look, see, I'm fine. I'm okay. (laughs) Falls over. Yeah, that seems like a crazy one. Well, that was kind of a fun top tens. Yeah, I liked it. Maybe we'll do a little little informative. Maybe we'll do a couple more of those. Yeah. So, exciting news. Exciting news. Uh, I asked someone that does um, some counseling, and they Mm -hmm. do... Uh, EDMR, and uh, I asked them if she would come on, and we could interview her, and she said yes. Yay! And for anyone that doesn't know, I've done uh, EDMR when I got in my two car accidents within three weeks of each other, Um, and I did EDMR, and it really helped me, and it was actually a pretty awesome, awesome experience. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited to have her on so we can talk to her about it because um i could sit there and try to tell you what she does but she can explain why yeah, she did it'd be those cool things. to have an expert yeah so maybe we'll, we'll uh, i'm not sure hopefully maybe we get her next sunday and we can talk to her then I yeah think. that'd be cool i think that'll be pretty fun and another side note happy birthday to andrea happy birthday mom yeah she is the big four O now and yep. she uh she's not thrilled about it because no. now she's entering into old people realm that's where <laughs> i am now getting there 40 you know 41 now gonna be 42 this year yeah but mom's just getting into it and to be honest she looks like she's 25 <laughs> she's beautiful so she is beautiful yeah so she's uh she might she might be 40, but she doesn't act 40. She definitely doesn't. <laughs> no. No. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it for today. I think so. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to our Patreon supporters real quick. Yeah. Patreon supporter number one. Grandma. Grandma. Are you going to... Yeah. 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 <laughs> My grandma. <laughs> Sharon Olette. Yeah. Yeah. Our Patreon supporter. <laughs> We're just going to call her Grandma. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I didn't she, know what else you wanted from me. Yeah, no. She's a Patreon supporter. She supports us, and we thank her for it because she's awesome. And our other one. Auntie Lori Gellert. Hey, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Lori Gellert. And uh, 
Flurry lives out here in Alberta with us, and she supports us. And we appreciate the shit out of her, too. We appreciate it, you guys. Yeah, so thanks, guys. And uh, if you ever want to promote or shout out anything, uh, give us a message, and we will do that for you. For we, sure. We will tell the tens of people that listen all about it. All about it. All about it. Well, thanks, guys, and I appreciate it. And stay tuned for Wednesday when we have some ridiculous stuff to talk about. Heck yeah. All right. See ya. Bye.